0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Chasing the Light. Thank you so much for listening in again this week. Last week, we had a wonderful interview and conversation with a very sweet family who is affected by visual impairment. And this week, we're going to kind of switch gears and and build off of it a little bit, but go kind of back into um, the mode of, you know, some tips of dealing with Avoidance and acceptance of a visual impairment or a disability. And um, I will tell you that each week I do a lot of thinking prior to recording these entries because I want to be sure that I'm sharing helpful information, yet staying true to myself and sharing my experiences um, with living with a visual impairment. And um, I found myself really thinking about my past um, as I'm kind of considering um, some ideas for possibly writing a book about my experience with blindness and kind of laying out the plan and organization for how I want to write that book. And um, it had me really reflecting about my time prior to accepting my blindness. And that's why I titled this entry "Avoidance to Acceptance," because for much of my life, I avoided my blindness. I spoke about this, you know, a little bit in in previous entries um, and shared, you know, some some different experiences I had as a child. And, you know, I shared some of, you know, what helped me to find acceptance with my blindness as I met Zach and finding the foundation of fighting blindness. But I, I feel that there's a big chunk of my story that I haven't shared. And I will tell you that um, the main reason I haven't is because I have gone so long with trying to to run from all of that and close the door on my past. Um, you know, I, I spoke about this in stumbling Out of Darkness, I touched on how in my teenage years, specifically my high school years, um, I struggled with drinking alcohol and partying a lot and um, was really going down a bad road. And in that entry, that's about all I said, (laughs) because, um, you know, it just it takes me back to a place that I've worked so hard to get away from in terms of my mental state. Um, in terms of my decision-making, like just everything. I'm a totally different person now. Um, But for those who are listening who may be struggling with acceptance or finding acceptance, um, or someone that might be listening who may not even have a disability but be struggling with um, just the pressures of life or um, depression, you know, whatever it may be, Um, I just wanted to kind of offer some things that I have done to kind of work through those things. Um, but in order for me to share those tips, I have to kind of give a little bit more detail of some of the things that kind of triggered me as I was going through my teenage years. And, um, you know, when I write a book about all of this, I intend to share stories and details of that time in my life that pretty much probably only God and I know. Um, but for the sake of this entry, I'm just going to kind of hit some highlights of the stories that that may have shaped, um, you know, my path towards acceptance of my visual impairment, My my essentially my path to finding um, peace with everything. So um, simply stated, I have a few simple uh, things that, that I can say that help me with acceptance, but I can't say that acceptance is simple. And it is a continuous process. Um, I'm way better than I was back then, but I still have You know, these little moments where things creep into my mind, and you know, I just struggle. I struggle because of of dealing with blindness every day. And I just want to be transparent with all of that because I know there are listeners out there who also have a visual impairment or who may be teenagers who are struggling and, and feeling lost or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I don't want my life to you know, reflect or be misleading to say that, yes, I have it all figured out. Every day is perfect. I'm blind, but, you know, I just walk around with this smile on my face and everything's perfect because it is not that way. And I don't ever want to be portrayed that way. Like it, I'm blessed. I know that. But every day is not easy whenever I'm walking around with blindness. And, you know, I, struggled tremendously through my high school years. I I talked about it, how, you know, I was popular. I had a lot of friends, um, but I avoided my visual impairment. I did I never talked about my visual impairment. Never talked about it with my family. My family really never talked about it. Um and because of all of that, all of this shame Built up inside of me like I was ashamed of it I thought there was something wrong with me nobody ever talked about this thing so I never felt you know comfortable to talk about it and um, you know I turned to alcohol as an escape um, you know I talked about how just a couple decisions in my freshman year of high school led me to a party scene with upperclassmen and you know I it wasn't just one weekend. It ended up being an every weekend type of thing. And it was all through high school. And yes, I, I had good grades, but, um, you know, I did all that I could to get out and be on the party scene. And I had, I had awesome friends and, and my friends have become amazing parents and, um, you know, we were doing similar things, but I think we were doing them for different reasons. Whereas my friends were more of like, exploring, you know, and, and, you know, going out there and doing teenage like things. And for me, I used alcohol as an escape. It is the one time like I could feel free from this burden I carried every day. I, you know, could go out to a party and drink and feel like I could talk to people and not have to be worrying about where my eyes were looking because I didn't care. I just let my mind be free. And that was my way of escaping from it all. Um, You know, and the drunker I got, uh, the more likely no one would have ever asked me to drive because there were people that I hung out with that didn't even know I didn't drive after I turned 16. So no one's going to ask the drunkest person at the party um, to drive them home. And that, that was my mindset. Like, I was in a very unhealthy place in that time in my life. And, um, you know, like I said, I I was a great student in school, but when it came to the weekend, I was totally different. I stayed out all night. I, you know, went to my, well, and, and mainly because I would, you know, lie and say I was staying at a friend's house. And then, you know, my friends and I would be at a party. And that's how a lot of my weekends went for several years, pretty much all through my high school years um and you know I still played sports and everything um and I really the 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 big turning point for me, and it wasn't even the turning point like I continued to to drink after this happened um but the big eye opener for me was my senior year. Um, I was co-captain of the varsity soccer team. Soccer was my sport. I also played basketball, ran track through high school, but soccer was my sport. Um, we had been a few games into the season. I I think I already had four goals for the season with just a few games, and I was on track to you know have a really great senior year soccer season. And um, our our soccer team planned a party and it involved alcohol and somebody ended up calling the cops on us and the cops showed up and we all got alcohol citations and um we all ended up getting kicked off of our soccer team my senior year um and this is something that like I talked about never on this podcast but I talked about it during my time as a beach body coach on a Facebook live um, it's something that's still pretty hard for me to talk about uh, just because it was just such it, it was the biggest consequence I had ever had related to alcohol at that point. Um, you know, I it, it, we ended up getting kicked off the soccer team, all of us, but two people. They had to move the whole JV soccer team up to the varsity soccer team Um Our whole team had to go to like an alcohol anonymous class. And um, we couldn't be voted on any kind of homecoming court or anything. We could go to homecoming, but we couldn't be we couldn't be involved in any fall activities. And, and one of our consequences was not being allowed to be voted on homecoming court. And um, at that point, I really started to reassess my life and be like, you know, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? And I still had no idea. Like, you know, I just thought I got caught And, you know, really, I I didn't want to party and drink anymore. And I really, I cleaned it up for a lot of the remaining of my senior year until it got to be like spring, I think. Um, You know, I didn't drink for like five months or so, didn't party, you know, kept it very low key, um, was very depressed because I lost my senior year soccer, Um, felt a lot of shame, obviously, a lot of guilt. Um, and at the time it was because I got caught. It it really wasn't like me learning from my mistakes. Um, and you know, through, through all this, I was hurting the people around me. I was hurting my dad, most of all, um, as I went through all this and he didn't know how to handle any of this. Like he, he didn't know what to do with me. I remember at one point, um, my, he had my aunt come and, and try and talk to me about God and brought me this book. And like, I wanted no parts of any of it. I just, I hated the world. I hated the world. I hated the hand that I was dealt. I did not hate God. I believed in God. I prayed to God. And you know, when, when I was really in the midst of all this, um, you know, I I can't say that I was suicidal because I didn't have a plan of being suicidal in any way. Um, and I'm sorry if this is too raw and real for anybody listening. I, I'm sorry, but I'm putting it out there because I have a big feeling that this is very relatable to somebody who's listening. So I'm just going to say it. I, um, you know, wasn't suicidal, but I was at a point where... I didn't care if I woke up the next day. I would never do anything to, to harm myself, but I, you know, didn't care if I woke up the next day. That's how low and depressed I was because of this hand that I was dealt. I, I just didn't understand it. And I guess it really hit me when all my friends started getting their driver's license and I wasn't able to because I couldn't see. Um, so, you know, I... I Went through my senior year. I graduated. I graduated with honors. I did really well. Um, you know, in that time, I decided that I was going to go to community college. I had applied to some other colleges and and was accepted, like to West Virginia University, to Frostburg um, State University. I was accepted to both of those. They were the only ones I applied to, but just because of what happened my senior year. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to, um, community college. I'm not ready to go. Like I, I'm not, I I didn't feel like I deserved to, to go anywhere. I just, I wanted to do better, but I didn't think that I deserved better at that point for all the bad decisions I had made up until that point. Um, so I ended up going to community college and that was one of the times it was like a fresh start for me. And it was like, kind of like halfway, um, you know i was i was becoming more independent but i wasn't because i was still at home and i still had to have my family take me and drop me off at school every day um you know i had a job um still had to have my family take me and drop me off at school every day and you know as grateful as i was to have my family surrounding me and to be willing to take me and drop me off the places i needed to go I just, I was embarrassed, and I, I hated that. Like, I lived in a rural place. I couldn't just call an Uber. I couldn't just call, you know, uh, uh, whatever to come get me. I couldn't get on a bus because I lived in a rural area. And, you know, that was my only way to, to, to go to school and to go to the gym and to go to um, work each day. So, um, you know, that was a hard thing for me to deal with. It was just an extra stressor added to it, but I, you know, I ended up doing really well at community college. Um, and you know, I, I was, I, I had a boyfriend at the time and wasn't much on the party scene while I had a boyfriend. I, I feel that when I had a boyfriend through all of those years, I didn't party that much. Um, but when I didn't have a boyfriend, that's how I dealt with, you know, breakups and just, just very unhealthy. It was just like a bad, bad, vicious cycle that I was in. Um, so I had a boyfriend during that time of, uh, my first year in college and everything. And, um, we ended up breaking up and it was kind of like the beginning of a, of a spiral for me, but yet, um, the place where i start to move forward into a person that i wanted to love okay so um in myself um so went through this breakup started having these terrible panic attacks like to the point where my whole just everything would be kind of constricted in the inside and just everything feels so tight and just felt like I I couldn't breathe and felt like I was having a heart attack. And that's the first time I really had panic attacks um, at that time. And, you know, sometimes I'll feel like one's coming on me. Um, Actually, before I recorded this entry, I felt like a little bit of tightness and, you know, my heart feeling like it did. And I had to remind myself, you know listen, this, you're going to talk about this stuff, but you're safe now. You're far enough away from all of this that you can talk about it, and you have to face it at some point. Like, I have to tell myself these things um, because I was so shaken by this past that I have and it had such an effect on me at the time and I've worked so hard to get away from it. Um, But, you know, if I'm going to write a book one day about all this, then I have to learn how to talk about it and not unravel every time I do. Um, So I feel like this podcast is a good outlet and a good place to practice um, because I want to be uh, real and transparent um, because I want it to be relatable to people. I want people to know that there are other people out there who have suffered, and I want to share anything that I can to help others You know, work through those things. That's the whole purpose of this podcast entry. It's not just for me to get on here and talk about myself. It's to help other people and to make sure that people know that they don't have to feel alone, because much of my life I felt alone. Until, you know, I found God, until I, you know, met Zach. Um, We didn't have podcasts when I was growing up. We didn't have Instagram and we didn't have everybody putting all their information and stories out to read to the world. Like we didn't have that when I was growing up. Uh, You know, and mental health wasn't talked about in the way that it's talked about now. Like it wasn't as accepted back then. So, you know, there was a lot of shame around that kind of thing. And and there was a lot of shame inside of me for feeling like I was depressed and feeling, you know, the way that I felt with those thoughts of like not caring if I woke up or not the next day. Um, And and that's how I felt when I drank. I didn't care how much I drank. I, I did not care what happened to me. Um, it just, it, and it, and I'm, it's hard to admit all that, um, because it's scary to admit all that. It's, it's scary to think about me being in that place where, um, I didn't care if I lived or died because I'm so far from that now. Um, but it, it was real and I want to acknowledge that, that it was real. So, you know, back to when I was dealing with the panic attacks, I, um, you know, agreed to go and do some counseling. And I will say, I encourage anybody to go do counseling. I know there's still some stigma, like in in terms of, you know, certain beliefs about counseling. And, um, and for me, I encourage anybody to do counseling. And, I just think it's a great outlet for you to be able to get your emotions out to someone who is, you know, not in your family, not a friend. It's it's a safe place, I feel. Um, if you put the effort in, you'll get that effort back in terms of counseling. Now, when I went to counseling, it was more so to check a box and to please everyone around me because they all knew I was struggling. Everyone knew, my family knew that I went out and partied and drank and um you know they they knew it but it, they didn't know how to talk about it because again they didn't have that experience of talking about mental health and how to deal with that because what in their generations my parents my grandparents like that stuff wasn't talked about back then and um but you know they they did they did help me get some counseling and i was in counseling for probably oh my maybe 2 months and I pretty much just went through the motions of it. I did not get like deep into anything. It was more talk about that breakup that I had just gone through. It did not go, it didn't scratch the surface of where it needed to go. Um, so that's why I say like you're only gonna get what you put into counseling. And I was given the bare minimum and I got the bare minimum out, and I walked away from it with um depression medication, sleep medication. And no issues resolved, um, and and that's what happened. Like, and I was on depression medicine for, uh, I think about a month, and sleep medicine maybe a month or two because I couldn't sleep at night. I just had this just this guilt, this shame. Um, um, just had these panic attacks. Um, the depression medicine made everything worse, and I just got to a point where I was like, no, I can't do this. And while I was on the depression medicine. I wasn't drinking because you're not supposed to mix alcohol with depression medicine. So, um, you know, in that time when I was trying to kind of solve things on my own, still avoiding the true problem, which was the fact that I was blind and, you know, not able to acknowledge that um, I was out getting my first tattoo. I was out getting my nose pierced. I was, you know, finding a new boyfriend and, you know, just that was the way that I was dealing with my life. To still avoiding the problem um nowhere near acceptance um and i was 18 at the time and i remember once i finally got off the the w- the um depression medicine um at least i had enough sense to not drink while i was on the depression medicine because i was scared of what might happen with that um i started drinking again i started partying again after i had gotten off the depression medicine and um, got in trouble again, and this was the first time I ever got in trouble for drinking with the cops at, um, you know, as an 18-year-old. So prior to that, I had three alcohol citations before I was 18, um, just different run-ins with the cops. Nothing ever came out of it other than when I was in high school and got kicked off the soccer team and went to Alcohol Anonymous um, with my soccer team. We all went together. Uh, for several weeks, I think. Um, And uh, it obviously, again, it didn't work because I had no intention of changing at the time. So, you know, if I didn't see that I had a problem, then it wasn't ever going to work. You have to get to the point where you want to change. You want to make a change um, for anything to work. Whenever you're trying to do a mind shift or a body shift or a life change, whatever, you have to want to do that. And um, that's what I learned through all of this. So um, I got this alcohol citation. This was my fourth and last alcohol citation I ever had. But I would just, because I was 18, um, it was my first time. I actually had to go and stand in front of a judge. Um, and this was the only time I ever had to blow into a um, breathalyzer for um, drinking when the cops came. And I forget what my number was that I had that I had blown into the breathalyzer. Um, But it was something off the charts. Um, And I remember standing in front of that judge and the judge looking at me and being like, you blew a whatever this number was. And And the judge was like, you're all but 100 pounds. Like, you should be dead right now for as much alcohol that was in your system. And I will never forget that because that was, I think, May of 2007. Um, and it just sent something right through me. Like, yeah, I, I could I could have been dead. This isn't the first time I drank that much. And this certainly wasn't at least I was at a house. At least I wasn't riding around with um, drunk drivers like I've done in the past. Like I'm when I tell you that I put myself in bad situations like I could <laughs> I was gonna say I could write a book about it. Yeah, I intend to write a book about it. Um, but I have stories to tell and stories that are locked deep within my soul that only God and I know or whoever was with me at the time know. Um, and it's, it's hard to go back to those places. Um, and I'm not going to today, but that was one of those big turning points for me. The next couple months, I focused on school. I was finishing up my, um, no, that That was 2008. Okay. Yeah. I had gone through a whole nother year at um, at HCC and that was 2008 that that happened um, because I was finishing up all my work and everything to graduate from HCC and was also in the midst of getting ready to go to Um, Penn State University. That's where I was headed to was Penn State University. I had been accepted in there for after I graduated from my community college. And at the last minute, I decided not to go to Penn State and decided to go to Frostburg instead, Um, just because I felt like Penn State was too far away. I felt like it was too expensive. Um, Just something told me in my soul that And, you know, pit in my stomach, this is the wrong decision. You need to go to Frostburg. Because I had applied to both places, um, got accepted for the second time into Frostburg just two years later after I graduated high school. Um, So we got things switched around. I ended up going, you know, accepting the offer to Frostburg. And I graduated from HCC. I um, graduated with high honors, did really well at community college, um, really felt that I had a knack for higher education, um, you know, wanted so badly to turn my life around. I did not want to spend my whole life um, drinking all night and being hung over and filled with guilt and shame the next day. I I knew it was wrong. I, I knew that I was living two different lives. Um, you know, I had this life where I was super healthy on the outside. I exercised. I, you know, I was a nice person. You know, I, I did good in school, but then I had this whole other life where I'm hiding this blindness and this disability through drinking and partying and, and absolutely undoing everything that I tried to do to make my body healthy. Um, and I just couldn't do it on my own and something told me that year um that i just really i really needed more um i had started going to church in 2007 um a- again as a result of like the the counseling not working the medicine not working all these things like weren't working um i just i wanted to go to church i just felt drawn to, to, you know, see what church was. I went when I was little, um, you know, with my grandparents when I went years and didn't go. And they were out of church at the time. And more so, I was like, I want to go to church because I want to get my grandparents back in church. And it was the first time I ever went as an adult. I would have been considered an adult at that point. Um, and I felt like every message was wrote for me. Um, And at the time, every time I heard a message, I would have two reactions. I'd either be filled with encouragement and inspiration, just drawn to God's word and God's messages through our pastor. Or I would leave there feeling condemned, guilty, not good enough. And not because of anything the pastor was doing, but because I was kind of in this battle of, um, trying to walk with God, but um, also fighting off the lies of you know an adversary, and um, and the adversary being myself. Like I, I told myself I wasn't good enough. Like and believed those lies because I I really felt like I wasn't good enough. I was blind. Um, who ever wants a blind person? Like why would my parents ever want? their blind child why would any boyfriend ever want a blind girlfriend and actually be you know marry this person someday like who would ever want me and um and I didn't want me so no one was ever going to want me until I learned to love myself and work through things and stop avoiding and start walking towards self-love and acceptance and um you know so I Definitely I, I went to church every Sunday. I didn't get in my Bible at all in the week um between Sunday services. Um you know, I just kind of was like, Well, I'm checking a box and I still I still partied and stuff in that time. Sometimes I go into church hungover. Like I'm not I'm not even going to sit here and lie about that. Like I still was struggling. I was still struggling. I was trying to go and, and do better. Um but I just couldn't Quite figure it out. And I noticed that like, you know, from the time I started going to church and learning more about God and um, learning about prayer and, um, you know, learning more about fitness as well. Like, um, I think me going to Frostburg was a, a great Way to start over, too. And I talked about this in an earlier entry how I used the opportunity when I left to go and be the first time staying away from my hometown. I use that as an opportunity to make a fresh start. I could be whoever I wanted to be. Um, You know, I could start my healthy lifestyle. I mean, what better time? to start to live healthier in every way than going into this health and physical education program that I was going into. So as I learned more about how to take care of my body, I wanted less to destroy my body with alcohol. And that all came when I was going to Frostburg. So he- here's here's my first tips, okay? this is This is how I started walking towards acceptance. I I started walking with God, learning more and growing in a relationship with God. Then I started learning more about health and wellness through my health and physical education program. I started exercising more and I started looking at, well, if I go out and party all weekend long or all Friday night, like, am I going to be able to get my workout in the next morning? No. So it's really hard to be destroying your body and yet taking care of your body at the same time. So I found myself using my exercising, my workout in the morning every day as my reason for not going out and partying the night before because you can't, it's very difficult to work out through a hangover and to do the kind of workouts that I do because I'm a runner, I do a lot of cardio based workouts. Um, And the the two just do not mix. So I started, this is another tip, started replacing bad habits with good and healthy habits. Um, I started choosing different environments to put myself in. Um, You know, I, I feel like if you're picking positive environments, that's going to help you walk towards acceptance of everything. Positive environments, surround yourself with positive people, and, um, to have positive habits, right? So everything I was doing up until you know this point, up until the point where I left for college um to go to Frostburg, I had been in that transition period of making those changes and you know, trying to put those positives in to replace the negatives, because home for me. Um, that was a negative environment for me. That was a place that I fell back into bad habits and not because of anything anyone else did. Um, You know, my friends never took a bottle of alcohol and poured it down my throat. I was always glad and willing to, um, you know, partake in those activities. Um, But the temptation was too much for me at home. So I had to stay away from it. And Frostburg pretty much saved my life in that way um for me to get out of there like cuz i was still in this world this uh one foot in one foot out when i was at community college um but when i went to frostburg i could really decide who i wanted to be and start figuring out how my life was going to look and um i spent the first 2 years at frostburg really learning for the first time how to love myself um kind of think about some real goals and set real goals for myself. Um, one of them being, you know, I wanted to have a master's degree um, whenever I was older. Like, I I remember writing that down when I was in college. Um, you know, I wanted to get married and have a family. And, you know, before that, I, I really didn't know. Like, I was so much of a mess that I just didn't know how I would ever bring anybody else into that mess um, you know, permanently and especially children. Like I just, I just didn't, I didn't know. And plus I, at that point I was told that I, if I had children, they would be blind. So I didn't even know if I wanted children. Like I loved kids. Um, that's one of the reasons I went into the direction I did in education. Um, I loved kids. I loved playing with them. I loved teaching them. Um, you know, they, they just working with kids has always been a gift of mine. Um, but I didn't know if I wanted to have the responsibility of raising children. And um, especially like thinking that they would be totally blind and knowing what my experience was with blindness at that point. I just, um, I just, did, I didn't want to put any child through that. I really didn't. So there was a big part of my time um prior to meeting Zach and everything where I just wasn't sure if I even wanted to get married and have kids anymore like you know at that point I was 20 years old or so and I had um I had had a lot of hard life experiences and hard life lessons already in my life um not to mention the fact that I was living with this disability still not completely dealing with it um but I was at least trying to put some healthier habits in place, um, so that maybe one day I could deal with it. And, um, you know, I started, then I, then I met Zach two years after being at Frostburg. And at that point I had really, I had let go of, of drinking for the most part, um, by the time I was 21, for as much as I had partied and drank um, up until that point, I had really no desire to anymore. So like by the time I got to Frostburg, I really, I, I mean, I can't say that I didn't party at all when I was at Frostburg because there was a couple occasions when I did, um, but it certainly wasn't a lot. It was, it was nothing um, compared to what it had been when I was at home. Um, Because I would always feel terrible, you know, physically and within my soul. Because, you know, anytime I'd party after going to Frostburg, I then was feeling guilt because I'm like, oh, you're trying to be this Christian. You're trying to walk with God, yet you're out here just destroying yourself. Like, I just I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Um, So I got to a point where I'm like, nope, you you can't have it both ways. You're going to have to pick one or the other. And, you know, I picked walking with God and to, you know, see where that path led me Um, because nothing I did prior to that um, ever worked before. So I needed to just trust God and keep moving forward. And eventually I was led to Zach. And, you know, you've heard some of the story there of how he was interested in, um, you know, my vision condition. I didn't tell him about my vision condition until about a month when, when we were dating and everything because he he didn't know why I didn't drive he just kind of um thought like I something happened that I didn't have a license or whatever it was um but then I eventually felt comfortable and safe enough to tell him and you know he kind of walked beside me and loved me anyway and I think that was the first time in my life that anyone knew about my vision and was interested about my vision, um, especially in a significant other. Like, you know, I really never talked about it with significant others prior to him. I mean, they knew about it because they went to school with me. They saw my magnifier, um, friends knew about it, but it just wasn't something that I talked about. So I don't think I ever made any other significant other or any of my friends comfortable to talk about those things with me. So, you know, I... I, you know, finally felt comfortable enough to talk with Zach about these things. And, um, you know, that was the beginning of me to to truly embrace my vision condition and and learn to accept it. Um, I wasn't in acceptance of it at the time, but I was working towards it and in a way that I had never worked towards it before. Um, And, you know, of course, I had told him a few months into us stating that what the doctors had told me that if I ever had children, um, they would probably be blind. Um, and, but there was like special testing that we could get done. You know, my, my spouse and I could, could have done to see if they would be blind or not genetic testing. Um, and I, when Zach and I were really starting to get serious and, and talking about, you know, our future and everything, like uh, getting married and have children, like, and we talked about this, he said, like, I wouldn't want that test done. Like, I, I, it doesn't matter if the baby is born blind or not blind, like, we're gonna love it anyway. So, um, and, and when he said that, like, you know, there were many other times that he said things or showed me love um, to, to help me realize that he was the one for me and the person that I would marry, but that was, um, pretty much the, um, the deal sealer for me that, um, you know, he did, he didn't care either way and he loved me for who I was. And I had already known that to that point. So of course, Zach is the true beginning of acceptance for me. Um, and you know, of course, when we got married and we had our first son, um, we started he started wondering about if there were any thing available out there in terms of community for me to get involved in because at that point i had i only had zach really to talk about all this with um but you know we also knew it was going to be very healthy for me to get involved in some kind of community of other people who may be experiencing um you know these these visual impairments or blindness. And that's kind of how we found the foundation fighting blindness and the vision walk and the community that came with that and the community that I have now today because of finding them 11 years ago. Um, So that brings me to another way to kind of help find acceptance is to find community. So to sum it up, pretty much I have Found acceptance through my faith um through my fitness and through community um and you know like i said for me community has been getting involved with the foundation fighting blindness getting involved with the vision walk um now i'm on the vision walk planning committee and you know have made good friends with other individuals who Are blind and visually impaired or affected by inherited retinal diseases. I'm also involved in chapter leadership where, you know, we're in the midst of planning like a speaker series and just trying to provide resources to um, individuals who are blind or visually impaired um, to let them see what is available out there for them um, in terms of technology, in terms of Um, events, everything. Uh, So that has been a big help for me. Because after finding the foundation, I started to have a reason to write about my vision condition. And before that, I barely talked about my vision, certainly never wrote about my vision condition. um, But because of the vision walk, I had to write a story on my vision walk page. And that was like the first time I ever wrote about my vision condition and put it out there for anybody else to read. So that has been very helpful for me to be able to express myself through writing when it comes to um, talking about my vision. That has helped me in accepting all of it Um and sharing it with other people to help other people realize, hey, these invisible disabilities are out there. And um, this is what you can learn from someone who is affected by a disability. Um so I also did like writing through social media posts because when I was a beach body coach, this kind of all ties in the whole fitness aspect to it. I shared a lot of my life on social media, on Instagram, Facebook. I did a lot of um, Facebook lives, Instagram lives, talked about some of these things that I shared today about my vision condition and um, just kind of the past that I had and the hard time with accepting it and basically just avoiding it um so those were outlets for me as well and definitely walking towards acceptance as I was releasing some of that one at a time so acceptance didn't just like happen overnight it wasn't one big moment for me it has been a little bit at a time just releasing like every time I go to the National Eye Institute I would come back and I did that once a year and I'd come back and write this lengthy Facebook posts and Instagram posts and put it out there. And I, I remember always feeling this big release because I was admitting every time when I was writing, I'm like confessing, hey, I'm going blind. A part of my body, of my retina is is dying. So that was my way of processing that through writing and putting it out there for People to read um whereas before I wouldn't even talk about it I certainly would just have fallen apart if I would have sat there and said out loud my retina is dying like a part of my body is not going to work anymore I'm going blind like I would have never been able to say that and through writing through um expressing myself you know in in the videos whatever whatever it may be um I was able to get those feelings out. And now I, of course, do it more frequently, Um, you know, and I I definitely a big part of acceptance for me as well was my time as a teacher of the visually impaired, Um, because I truly believe that allowed me to go back and put myself in shoes that, you know, I once wore um as a student going through k-12 and you know to face those giants that i never battled whenever i was going through school because i avoided them i was never true to myself when i went through school i you know avoided everything all the time just wanted to fit in just wanted to be as quote unquote normal as possible um so I, in doing that, I let a big part of me um, be hidden. And this thing that I had shame um, just surrounded me, um, you know, could have been something that could have been beautiful for me to share and help other people understand disabilities who were going through school with me. Um, but it wasn't that way. So during my time as a teacher of the visually impaired I tried to do that the best I could. I tried to talk to my students and make them feel comfortable and let them know that they're special and to let them feel comfortable in sharing some of the frustrations that I know I dealt with whenever I went through school, but they had an outlet to talk about it whereas I kept all mine in the inside. So I tried to be that person for my students. Um I had to walk down the hallways of these schools with a cane as a teacher and I heard um, you know, whispers and heard things being said about me. And, you know, as a teacher, as an adult, and, and they cut hard. But I feel like I had to do that. I had to go back and face all that to truly reach this place of acceptance. I just feel like acceptance has been um like an onion just peeling back layers for me. And these little um things in my life, like going, you know, through, meeting the vision walk for the first time and writing about it or going through the beach Beachbody um, coaching and putting a live video out or um, you know going back and being a teacher I feel like these things have helped me reach new levels of acceptance with it and then this of course this clinical trial that I'm doing um, putting myself out there in that way and you know Talking about it here on the podcast journal, like this is a new level of acceptance for me. Um, and for the first time in April, I'm going to get up and talk about my vision condition at the Vision Walk kickoff event um, for the first time in front of, of people Um, now I've done it in my classes before I've done it um, like virtually I've, I've been a guest speaker in different types of situations on a virtual platform but I've never stood in front of people and talked about my vision condition so I feel and believe that that's going to take me to a new level of acceptance for this so I just feel like it's I think that it's a continuous process and I think that that's what I want people who are listening to know the most. Um, Those of you who are personally infected by blindness and those of you who may be a friend or a parent or a spouse of someone who is affected by um, blindness or visual impairment, it is a process and it's not something that happens overnight. Um, and it's not something that's going to be perfect. And I can't promise you that once you accept it, because I I have accepted this. I'm 35 years old. I've done the work. I continue to do the work. I have accepted this. But I can't say that every day is going to be easy. I just had a week last week where things piled up on me in terms of parenting and just other normal things that happen in life. And then plus my blindness, just a a couple different things with my blindness that kind of, um, it all just kind of caved in on me. And I started feeling shut off and, um, just, you know, kind of feeling downcast spirits and it happens, it happens. So I just want to encourage everyone, um, to just stay as positive as you can surround yourself with a good environment, good people, um, you know, be healthy and active. Your nutrition matters. I've talked about this before. Eat healthy because what you're putting in your body affects your mood, affects the way your body operates. Everything is entangled. And, um, you know, I have learned that through all of the mistakes that I have made and how I've cared for my body, mind, and soul. Um, so it, it, it is quite a journey and I am thankful for where I am today. Um, but I, I can't hide from who I was then. I don't think that helps me at all. Um, it doesn't mean I have to sit around and think about it all day or talk about it. But I think something like this and sharing some of these experiences um, and being basically brutally honest with everyone, I think it helps me and I believe that it will help other people who may be able to relate to some of these emotions. So um, I'm just so grateful that you all took the time to listen to this in its entirety. Um, I appreciate you all supporting the podcast journal. I would love to hear your feedback or comments. Um, You can email me at ctlpodcastjournal at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram or on Facebook, LinkedIn, Um, I would love to hear from you. If you're someone personally affected or someone who has experienced these type of feelings and just need somebody to talk to or you need some resources, please don't hesitate to reach out because that is why I'm here. I want to help the best way I can and, and use what I have learned to be a benefit to somebody else. So I thank you all for listening and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.